Live from the bridge at the Launchpad Studios in Huntington, New York, it's Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Cardboard Memories, Clearview, Long Island, the law firm of Decalator, Cohen, and DePrisco, the Phoenix Tube Company, Pims Incorporated, fueling brand performance for 30 years, Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, and Soho Table Hockey. Here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who is considered one of the best blocking fullbacks in NFL history. He had a 16-season NFL career. He was drafted by the New Orleans Saints in the fourth round of the 1993 NFL Draft. He was a four-time Pro Bowl selection and three-time All-Pro. He was also a member of the New York Jets, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tennessee Titans, Cincinnati Bengals, and had some of his best years as a San Diego Charger under the late Marty Schottenheimer. He finished his career out with the Baltimore Ravens and Oakland Raiders. He blocked for a 1,000-yard running back for an 11 straight seasons from 1997 to 2007. It is a pleasure to welcome a member of the NFL 2000's all-decade team, Lorenzo Neal. Welcome, Lorenzo. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for the introduction. That was great. It's our pleasure. Sorry about it. We had a little miscommunication, but we're glad you're here. Before we get to your time with Coach Schottenheimer, let's talk about your great career. You're a member of the Fresno State Bulldogs football team from 1989 to 1992. During your four college seasons, you rushed for 2,405 yards. All Big West selection your junior and senior years. You finished your college career as the school's second leading rusher all time. Played in the Japan All-Star Game. What was the most important thing you learned from Coach Sweeney as well as wrestling coach Dennis Delito? Well, yeah, Dennis Delito was a phenomenal guy, a guy that I still have a great relationship with and uh, just taught me how to be tough. I mean, I come from a small town, Lamore, California, country town and raised on a farm. And having coaches like that in my life, it just really prepared me. I think it made me have that long career in the National Football League. Jim Sweeney, guys, he was a cross between Bill Parcells, uh, uh, Jim Mora. I mean, this guy, Marty Schottenheimer. So we had a guy, Jim Sweeney, that coached in the pros with just a tough Irishman that would be in your face, punch you, hit you, slap you, you name it. He would do it. He'd be in jail, right? The things that he did uh, back in the day. But uh, I tell you what, guys, I don't regret it at all. It made me the man who I am. You know, one of the interesting offshoots of that trip to Japan is you also get to show off your wrestling skills as you defeated a sumo wrestler in an exhibition match in Japan during the Japan Bowl. What was the trip like for you, and what do you remember about that wrestling match? Yeah, it was it was really awesome that we got to go to the one of those houses that the, you know where the sumo wrestlers wrestle and they eat, and so I got to go against like three of the guys. I got to eat with them. They put these guys are three, four, five, six hundred pounds, and they they put out a spread and how flexible they are is just absolutely amazing. They put out a sheet like a blanket, and you're sitting Indian style, and you're eating this thing that's just full of food. Uh, a, I see why these guys die at such a young age. The amount of food that you're that you have to eat, but still be as nimble as these guys are. The experience was amazing. Actually, I beat like three of the guys, and then they brought out the champion, Chad Ocobono. And that lasted about 30, 10 seconds. He hit me one time in the throat, and I said, okay, I'm, ret I'm retiring. So uh, they put me in that little towel. You wrap yourself in that thing. They wrap you in the little whatever the thing is called, and uh, like a little big G-string, I guess it is. <laughs> and uh, uh, it was it was pretty fun, though. It was really amazing. That was a, a neat time for me. But uh, uh, I definitely retired from the sumo, uh, sumo game. Lorenzo, you just gave me a visual I did not need, I'll tell you that. Right I know, now. I know, too soon, too soon, <laughs> too, too soon. soon. Uh, you're selected in the fourth round, 89th overall of the 93 draft by the New Orleans Saints. You make your debut September 5th against the Oilers, lead the team in rushing. 
Um, it's the first of two starts as a rookie. Just seven days later, you suffered a season-ending ankle injury during a road game against the Falcons. You're told at that point that you're probably not going to be able to run as you did before. What, what goes through your mind when you hear that in your rookie season? Yeah, it wasn't the crash to kill you. It's a sudden stop. You're leading the league in rushing. You come in the league. You take it over by storm. You're coming from Fresno State, and, and you're earning your stripes. And uh, it was tough, man, to know from going from running the ball 20, 30 times, you know, 15, 20 times a game and to not caring and not seeing it for 15 to 20 times a game, not seeing the ball at all. So um, it was tough. But I had a great coach in Jim Mora. Jim Mora set me down and brought me in his office and said, Lorenzo, I'm telling you, I know this is tough. He said, but I just know you have the type of body you can last 10, 12 years in this league if you commit to being a fullback. You're physical. You're strong. You have a presence. You've been blessed. And at that time, I was okay. And when he set me down and had that heart-to-heart, put me in his office, he took a liking to me. And I'll tell you, that was one of the most profound uh, profound things that he could say to me because I took that on personally. And when a guy of his stature tell you, look, you can play a long time in this league if you just buy into what I'm telling you 17 years later, guys. So uh, <laughs> uh, Jim Moore knew what he was talking about. It was a freaking awesome career and uh, loved the ride that I was on. It is unbelievable because you you rise to that challenge and the change of positions. And after four years with the Saints, you get traded to the Jets. And from 1997 through 2007, you're recognized as the best lead blocker in the NFL. You paved the way for 11 straight running backs with over 1,000 yards. And you do that with five different teams. How do you remain that consistent going from organization to organization? And I'm I'm sure different offensive offensive schemes – you know, how difficult is that to maintain that level of excellence as a blocking back? Well, I'll tell you what. I always said I didn't want to go back and slop hogs and feed cows and do the stuff that I was doing on a forum. So I was no alternative. It was like, hey, look, you know, the Vikings, when they would go to different places, they would get there at their ships and they'd come to the land that they would come to and they explore. And they said, you know what they would do? The Vikings would burn their ships. And they said, it means, you know what? You can't go back. So I burned my ship. I knew, hey, look, this is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to make the lifestyle of it. I would come back the offseason. I would wrestle with Dennis Toledo and with the Fresno State wrestling team. I would get to the farm and work with my dad. My dad said, hey, son, come on. Hard work pays off. And I would come back home. And he's like, son, I don't care about you playing football. You rise and shine. He wake me up at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. Even the offseason said, I need your help. And he didn't care. I was on the tractor, distant fields, had a 580 case, 580 backhoe, which I still have. And and so I didn't mind the hard work. So I think those was that those things, those moments that helped me solidify who I was, the identity. And a lot of guys don't understand the NFL doesn't stand for national football, but it stands for not for long. If you don't work and if you don't protect that ball, and I go now and I talk to different companies, I see this ball for 16 years, it protected me. It paid my mortgage, it paid my bills, it allowed me a lifestyle. But what are you doing to protect that ball? What are you doing to protect the, well, your podcast, the things that you guys got to do? You work hard. And you make it an effort and you say, I got to be the best if I want to be able to last. So that ball didn't, football didn't take care of me. It was, what did I do to protect that, to keep the longevity going as long as I played? So it was through hard work, doing the extra, training my butt off, getting, I even trained with champion boxers, Paul Bading, went and wrestled, wrestled with Chuck Liddell and get into the ring with Chuck and do those things, train MMA, do all those things. It was whatever you could do. You read about it. Chuck Liddell had talked about me in his book, The Iceman. Yeah you know, coming back and training, those are just the things that you have to do if you want to be great. And if you don't want to be more, if you want to be more than average, you got to outwork everyone. I knew when I would go into training camp, I said, you know what? 
I know that I'm the best shape. I know that I'm no one worked hard in me. I know no one put in less time as me in the offseason. I think those are one of those things, some of those things that uh, helped me play as long as I did. And that mindset actually, you know, helped you get to a Super Bowl. And, you know, one of the things, uh, if not for a specific play, you might never get there um, without the Music City miracle in the wild card playoff game. 16 seconds left. Titans trailed the Bills 16-15. Bills kick off. You field the kick. Walk us through what you remember about that play. And is that something you guys actually practiced during your practices at all? Yeah, believe it or not, we'd practice that every single weekend. That was the last play that we would do every Friday. All right, Music City Miracle would call. It was called the home run throwback. And on that particular play, you just you went through it at every practice, and you said, "Are we ever going to use this thing?" And sometimes coach said, "Guys, focus in." I'm telling you, one day Jeff Fisher said, "Guys, come in, huddle up." When we didn't do it as well, and it looked a little sloppy, he goes, "Huddle up." Because let me tell you something. One day this play is going to save our life. One day we are going to use this play. Trust me, man. So pay attention. So we would do it every single week. It was not a day we didn't, not a week that we didn't practice the home run throwback. And I remember coming on the sideline and call the play. And I tell Frank, I said, Frank, did we call the play? And I said, Frank, come here. And I just, just meet him. I said, Frank, come over here. They're going to kick me the ball. Come get it. So Frank and I didn't tell everyone because I had the option I could have thrown. I said, Frank, come get it. Let me, I don't want to throw this ball. You come out. So Frank knew, had the presence of mind, come over and get the ball and throw it across the Dyson, and, and the rest was history. But I knew that play was coming. I knew they were going to kick it short. I remember when that ball was popped up, it seemed like forever that it was going to get in. I was like, oh, my God, I got to catch it. Kept my arms tight and made the catch and uh, pitched it back to Frank Wycheck, made my block, and then I just heard the crowd get louder and louder and louder. It was unbelievable. Uh, incredible play. Uh, another play in those playoffs, again, centered around Kevin Dyson. Uh, did not have the same storybook ending. What were your thoughts as Kevin Dyson stretched out in vain as time ran down in that Super Bowl? And what was the whole Super Bowl experience like for you? It was it was very, 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 very awesome because, you know what, you said it was about the 10th year or 7th, it's about like my ninth year in the league, and you just never know. And so it was like, God, I knew how hard it was to get there, and I didn't want to leave any stone unturned. And so it was like, man, you do, you take for granted, you know, oh, we'll get back. No, I knew how hard it is to try to get to that game and in the playoffs itself. So that, that moment, I had to savor it. And I remember the play that was called – and you think, oh, my God, this play is going to work. And Kevin Dyson would tell you, you know, some years later, and guys would say he needs to take one more step because that was a great tackle. But oh, Kevin, if Kevin would have pushed that angle out one more step, you, that Jones does not make that tackle. He was going with wide check. And we all talk about it. And it's just yeah. like one of those things. Uh. It's a game of inches. It's a game of inches. And that was one of those times that we got to see how that really uh, come to fruition. Just attention to detail, one minor detail in this game where maybe we'll have a different outcome. So you move from the Titans to the Bengals, and after two seasons helping Corey Dillon to rush for over 1,000 yards in both seasons, you move on to San Diego Chargers and begin the longest stint of your career with one team, five seasons. You're the second oldest member of the offense behind Doug Flutie. Some of the young members of that team included a 23-year-old Antonio Gates, a 24-year-old Drew Brees, 24-year-old Damian Tomlinson. Could you tell at that point what the future held for those three players and are you amazed at how well Drew Brees continues to play into his 40s? 
Oh, without a doubt. These guys are, are incredible. I did know you saw Antonio Gates when you saw this guy coming from Kent State, never played football, especially in college level, played in high school. And he went to COS, of, you know, College of Sequoia, junior college here in the Central Valley. You didn't know how great he was going to be. But once you saw him catch the ball and run routes and just seeing the things you do, you knew he had a chance to be good. You didn't know if he was going to play this great. But LaDainian Thomas and, and uh, you so I think with LT and if you look at LT and Gates, just in the short time that I, you know, when you know when they're young in their career, especially Gates in his second and third year, played with him for five years. But you knew uh, when he started right away, you said, okay, this guy's going to be special. LT, you knew was a Hall of Famer. Drew Brees, I think, of the biggest surprise out of all of them, I think you'd have to say Drew Brees because he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Fame. Antonio Gates will be a first ballot Hall of Fame. But you saw the ability of Gates. You saw what LT could do. Of course, Drew was the one that you would say, God, do you think he'll be a Hall of Famer? Would he be this great? I think Drew. Brees, I think he was the one that I think shocked the most people when you think about just who he was. Now, in part, prior to playing for the Chargers, you played for some pretty big-name coaches in the NFL. You mentioned Jim Mora, Bill Parcells, Tony Dungy, Jeff Fisher, Dick LeBeau. What were some of the valuable lessons you learned from them? Uh, every single one of them had a certain idiosyncrasy about them. When you talk about uh, you talk about a guy in Jim Moore, just a non-nonsense, but a guy who was tough, but he's still a friggin' great coach. It's going to be in your face, going to be tough and going to be hard demanding. Sometimes we'd have three practices a day. He was tough. Bill Parcells, hucking and bucking. That was one of his favorite lines, hucking and bucking. Bill Parcells, he was a guy, perfectionist, a guy that knew football, one of, one of the most attention to detail, I think, type of coach and put a lot of demand on his assistant coaches. Love who Bill Parcells is love him as a man then you just continue my career tony dungy is a guy that's not going to yell at you not going to cuss you out not going to impact you but i'll tell you right now when he talked to you it was like the lord talking to you, you just didn't want to disappoint tony because he was just hey i expect more from you guys and, and just the way that he would go about it like oh wow uh, i got to get this thing together so tony dungy td was also also awesome dick lebeau man he would come in in his superman outfit and come in and dance for us the guy was a movie star did some movies as well uh dick LeBeau just a phenomenal guy uh still phenomenal man you know coach well into his 70s maybe 80s think about what he's been able to do at that type of level and jeff fisher another guy just a great coach had great coaches around him mike munchek different coaches that always had a sphere of influence on me because you know they you could take something from each one of them they were all unique and then marty schottenheimer i mean marty was a guy that just bigger than life a guy that you revered a guy that was tough as a lion but still as meek as a lamb a guy that would be in your face, physical type of guy, could show his emotion. But I'll tell you what, when it came down to just being a good person, a guy that could talk to guys that didn't, you know, the guys were going through it. And if you just needed to talk to a man about family, about certain situations, relationships, Marty Schottner was that guy. I mean, I remember him calling in the significant others and wives and have his wife there too, Pat. And he would give his cell number out and tell, encourage people to call and do those things. And people are like, oh, wait, yeah, a lot of coaches say that, but do they, the proof's in the pudding, did they really execute it? I had one of my daughters suffers from diabetes, she's now 17, have twin daughters. And she would go through it, go to the hospital. Someone would come out and say, hey, Lorenzo, your daughter has sick. Marty would say, Lorenzo, get out of here. Get out of here. Go take care of your family. And then the next day, I'd be, you know, one of the guys getting ready to come in and work out. He'd call me, you know, before I get there, five o'clock in the morning, say, Lorenzo, I don't want you here today. I said, Marty, she's okay. I don't want you here today. That's the kind of man that he was. And he's a guy that I uh, just, I loved him. He, I give him so much uh, uh, credit for what my career was because of the fact I knew I was going to play. I knew a lot of teams I'd go to would go to a lot of 12 personnel and 11 personnel. 
Marty Schottner was going to get in two backs, and I'm going to tell you, he was going to run the ball, especially when you got a guy like LT. So I just love Marty. Marty has always had a special part in my heart. He and his wife, beautiful wife, Pat, wonderful person. Of course, his son, Brian Schottner, who I love, respect, and his wife, Jamie. So Marty, I'll tell you what, the world's not a better place. We lost a legend, we lost a leader, and we lost a great man. Absolutely. And it's interesting to note of all those great coaches I mentioned that you played for, only one of them won the coach of the year when you were on his team, and that was Marty Schottenheimer. And I think Marty gets a bad rap because of his, his playoff record. But you know what? Sometimes, you know, a coach will get a team that may, you know, I'm not saying those teams didn't have a right to make the playoffs, but maybe those teams overachieved. And maybe that's why they didn't have that success in the playoffs, because they overachieved just to get to the playoffs. And that's a direct reflection of Marty. And, and it, you know, he, to me, is a definite Hall of fame coach and i hope we see that day soon um me too you know it's interesting we're 74 days away from the nfl draft and you might have a little more interest in this draft than any other since 1993 as is another eligible player named lorenzo neal in this draft can you tell us a little bit about junior's game and how did your early injury in the nfl that experience help you to help him overcome his torn acl injury yeah, I just told him, I told my son, I said, look, son, tough times don't last, tough people do. I said, if you can look up, you can get up. And you know what? He went through a stage where, man, am I going to play again? My knees, ACL. And now I look at him and I'm like, look, I said, remember this feeling. What are you going to do? I said, you can't pray for rain and then complain about the mud, son. You got to go get it. I said, because opportunity is never lost. It's just given to someone else. So I give him so many cliches. He's like, dad, dad, please stop. It's like, no. Because you got to realize, son, yes, you graduate an engineer, you're going to go, you could get out of school, going to make 100, 150, you're going to come out making good money. I said, but you can sign your name and make that by the swipe of a pen. I said, you got to want this. I said, I can't do this for you. I said, this is your journey. This is your battle. This is your mountain to climb. I said, dad had to climb my mountain. I made it. I said, you got to make it. And I said, you got to want it. You got to make sure that there's no rock unturned. You got to be able to reach deep within yourself and find out who Lorenzo was going to be what is your destiny what is your journey what is your mountain how are you going to climb it because no mama can't do it for you daddy can't do it for you this is you this is you and the good man upstairs and i said i always tell him i said tell god i'm sorry why dad why should i tell god i said because look at you you're six three you're 320 some pounds you built so great you got all these things but are you working are you using it guys wish they had your size you've been blessed with ability and blessed with this body you better take advantage of it so me and him we have we don't come to blows guys we don't come to blows <laughs> Lorenzo, how are you not an NFL coach right now? That's all. How are you not a head coach in the NFL, man? I'd go through a wall for you. Can you adopt me? I, I, at 60 years old, I'll be an NFL player with you there, man. Wow. Hey, my, I, my son, he's always, Dad, why aren't you coaching? I just know the commitment it takes, guys. And I, and, I, and, I, and I would be a great coach. I really believe that because I think I do know how to motivate men. But I understand the responsibility that you have as a head coach. And I understand, and it's tough. It's tough sledding. I was once those players – and I know the time and the commitment that you have to put in to each one of these men. And that's the thing that I think I wouldn't be doing uh, doing the service. So I, I like where I'm at. I can talk to guys, pick up the phone. Guys want to call me, want to work out with guys. Guys need me to train them. I'm there. I just think that I can serve my time elsewhere than being a coach. But I thought about it. Unbelievable. You know, I'm, I'm looking at 2021 as the year that – Lorenzo Jr. gets drafted in the NFL and you make the NFL Hall of Fame. I just want to thank you so much for your time tonight. More importantly, as, as a former Jet season ticket holder, thank you for Adrian Morell's 1,000-yard season. <laughs> um, great stuff, Lorenzo. Wish you the best of luck and uh, can't wait to see you in Canton one day. 
No worries, guys. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Thanks, guys. You got it. Future NFL Hall of Famer Lorenzo Neal.